0: America is the land of opportunity. Our founders believe that every individual has the God-given right to pursue their greatest potential, the freedom to flourish and govern themselves as individuals, families, communities, and a nation. And our founders worked tirelessly to develop a system of government that would protect that liberty. This belief has made the United States the freest and most prosperous nation in history and a shining city on a hill an example to the rest of the world. On American Lives, we'll talk with individuals who have pursued their American dreams and made the most out of the opportunities guaranteed to them at our founding. These incredible men and women share the stories of their success, their love for our nation and its history, and why they consider the work of the Ashbrook Center so essential in educating future generations about the history and principles of America. I want to welcome everyone to this episode of American Lives. Today we're going to be talking with a very interesting guest, a person who specializes in something that most of us know, most of us wear, (laughs) most of us use, but probably don't understand much about. Eric Wind of Wind Vintage. Thank you for taking the time to join us Thank at American you. Lives.
1: Thank you so much for
0: having me. Uh, American Lives is about our conversations with public leaders, business leaders, philanthropic leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you have an amazing entrepreneurial story. <laughs> um, you're the founder and owner of Wind Vintage, bachelor's of science in foreign service from yeah. Georgetown University. Yes. MBA from the University of Oxford. Mm -hmm. You've been featured in publications as varied as the Wall Street Journal, Hollywood, all the way down, all the way to the Hollywood Reporter, (laughs) (laughs) and across the whole spectrum. Um, You are, and you might not say this, I'll say it because others say it, one of indisputably the world's leading authorities on vintage timepieces. How does a person with your background (laughs) in international politics and an MBA? end up
1: doing this amazing business was never the plan it was uh purely a passion that started toward the end of my college career when i had inherited my grandfather's hamilton which was a gift from my grandmother to him for their wedding in 1947 and uh that was my first vintage watch (laughs) um I guess when I got it, I thought it might be my last vintage watch, but it was very uh, special to me. And then I began reading about watches online. Shortly thereafter, I began writing about vintage watches when I was invited to do so for uh, a publication that really took off uh, called Hodinkee, which is kind of one of the important watch publications now. Uh, Again, that was also a passion project for the gentleman who's a friend of mine who founded it. And uh, it's fun to see in this environment. And I think that's it's a common thread throughout American history that people's passions can lead them to, you know, end up creating new businesses and uh, really starting something new. So that that's my story in brief. Uh, I went to Oxford, but I was writing about vintage watches as a hobby and passion prior to that continued. Uh, and the limited time when I wasn't studying while I was at Oxford uh and then after I got a job with a bioenergy firm here in Florida um turning uh tobacco and other products into ethanol biodiesel and jet fuel uh and I was still writing about vintage watches uh and then ended up being recruited to go to Christie's so I pivoted away from energy into into watches full time and haven't looked back uh, really enjoyed my time at Christie's and then realized it was something I could do on my own and kind of serve the clients that I had developed who didn't have enough of my time when I was at Christie's and decided to start Win Vintage in 2017. One of the things that
0: I've learned in talking with entrepreneurs and, and business leaders like yourself is they, they discover a passion that sometimes they knew they had, sometimes they didn't know they had. Yep. And then they see an opportunity in the market. Mm-hmm. And those two meeting together, it's that marriage of those two things. Um, to you, your passion for vintage timepieces, it you say, it started with that original gift.
1: Yes. Um, but what do you find so fascinating, so beautiful about them? Watches are interesting because they combine many different fields. And mm-hmm. it's more than just the watch, you've got the artistic element. Um, these were true artisans making these things. Uh, you've got the kind of industrial element, how they were made, you know, a hundred years ago is different than how they're made today. There was a lot of hand craftsmanship. Um, you've got history itself and the history of timekeeping navigation, very important. And these were really tools for people doing different things for divers exploring underwater for scientists in kind of high magnetism environments. Um, for for people that were timing car races or horse races all sorts of different things uh so it's that it's kind of storytelling treasure hunting it's no surprise when i was in fifth grade and i was in the newspaper in manitowoc wisconsin they asked my favorite tv show and i said antiques road show <laughs> and some of my other classmates were saying Rugrats and other kind of uh, cartoons but uh i think my fate was sealed then i just didn't know it um but uh, yeah, I think it's it really combines uh, a lot of different fields into one, and there's the mechanical element of servicing these things and making sure they operate correctly. Engineering it combines so many fields. I'm only touching on a fraction of them, really. So the
0: the timepiece itself, uh, probably almost all of our listeners have a watch. Some devote some real time and thought to their watches. Other people like me just get what's convenient. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Tell us a little bit about the
1: history of the timepiece. The timekeeping has gone back thousands of years to try to understand time, how it passes. You know, obviously the sun is kind of the essential timekeeper and understanding how that passes throughout the day. but uh, And how the stars move overall, how time passes, astrolabes, etc., Uh, ancient Egyptian water clocks, all these different things to understanding time. Um, But the the time piece as we know it now, watches, really started 1500s, kind of the early... There were clocks before that, of course, but in terms of something you could actually have on your person, um, those were kind of the early watches for the people that could afford them, which were, you know, monarchs uh, in Europe and then uh, monarchs in Asia who pursued purchasing those as well. Um, And as time went on, watchmakers became better and better at innovating, figuring out ways to make the watch more accurate. John Harrison, of course, was incredibly important with creating the chronometer and winning the the prize that really allowed England to dominate the high seas for hundreds of years. Uh, And then Rolex, as we know it, was one of the first to create very precise, small movements that could be wristwatch worn. Uh, And the wristwatch itself kind of goes to World War I when uh, we had trench warfare and they were trying to time when they could attack the enemy, run out of the trenches, etc. So people pulling pocket watches out wasn't as useful. They began welding lugs onto them, which are kind of the the longer legs, if you will, of the watch, and then putting a leather strap through it or a nylon strap so they could put it on their wrist. Uh, and that's kind of the birth of the wristwatch.
0: The wristwatch was born as an instrument of war.
1: <laughs> yes, because it was a lot easier to look at your wrist and then run out than <laughs> me pulling a watch out of your pocket. Fascinating. Um, it really is. And uh, the, one of the first wristwatches was made by Cartier for a Brazilian-French aviator um, uh alberto santos dumont and that was circa 1904 and again he needed something on his wrist rather than pulling out a pocket watch and that watch is called the santos uh in his honor today uh as worn by george santos funnily enough in congress he wears a santos uh but uh he was maybe his last name was inspired by the watch some people uh speculate but uh it's very interesting just all the little connections <laughs> the, so the pocket watch, does it
0: go out of style immediately following world war one? Is there an instant transition to the wristwatch? No. People continue with the pocket
1: watch. Yeah. People who were used to pocket watches continued, you know, through at least the 1940s and beyond, There was still a very strong market for them. Uh, but generally those were older gentlemen who were kind of used to it or was seen as more proper, um, you know, to wear a pocket watch. Uh, and they had the, kind of accessories and, and daily garments to accommodate having a watch in their pocket, maybe a chain, et cetera. Um, so that, that's interesting. But for the younger generation, they really had transitioned to the wristwatch. It's a common thing. You know, almost every year there's an article, is the end of the wristwatch here because younger people weren't wearing wristwatches, et cetera. The Apple Watch has absolutely helped revive the watch industry, I would say, because people are used to wearing things on their wrists again. And then for many people, they start with an Apple Watch and then transition to what I would call a real watch or a mechanical watch. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting to see kind of a revival of watches the last few years. The, the pocket watch
0: itself, you say the transitions away from it started in World War One, but before then... Um, our, a lot of our listeners, of course, are devotees of American history. Yes. Uh, prior to World War I, the, the pocket watch in American history, how far does it go back? So, for example, people think of American founders like Benjamin Franklin, who was mm-hmm. fascinated by mechanical objects and machines of all kinds. Would America, Would our American founders have had either
1: mechanical clocks or even mechanical pocket watches? Absolutely on both. Um, It was seen as a critical instrument for their travel for daily life. George Washington had multiple pocket watches. Um, He was a patron of a particular watch and clockmaker who also imported watches in Philadelphia. Uh, Thomas Jefferson has a pretty remarkable clock collection I co-wrote an article on this with a colleague, Charlie Dunn, about Thomas Jefferson's clocks, uh, which they still have at Monticello. And um, one of them was actually for the workers. It was a single-hand uh because they didn't have a minute hand so much. You just tracked the hour hand and could tell, obviously, generally the minute uh, for workers so they could see how the day was progressing and what they needed to do in terms of their daily responsibilities. So that's still there. Uh, Jefferson also was a patron of an important French clockmaker. Uh, So there's who um, many royals purchased uh, clocks and watches from back then. Um, Abraham Louis Breguet was... Uh, of French and of genius who many uh, European royals were patrons of back starting in the late 18th century through the early 19th century. That brand continues. Mm -hmm. But uh, King George III basically had one smuggled out during a war between France and England so we could have one. uh, which (laughs) watch
0: from the enemy? (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Which recently uh, sold at auction and was declared an English national treasure so they couldn't export it out of England. Uh, So there's also politics and kind of interesting elements related Two watches that I find interesting too. Fascinating. Um, just one kind of uh, story. Uh, there was a New York-based uh, auction house that, around 2009, had Mahatma Gandhi's pocket watch for sale. That a gentleman who was a collector of Gandhi's things had had purchased. Uh, it was a simple Zenith silver watch that, honestly, on eBay, would have gone for maybe fifty to one hundred dollars only. But it also included a pair of his leather kind of sandals, his glasses, and the bowl he supposedly ate his last meal out of. Uh, So it came up for auction. The government of India went crazy and said, this is a national treasure. You can't sell this. And uh, they were trying to get the United States government involved to stop the sale the U S government actually went to the auction house in New York and investigated, but there is no real reason for them to intervene in the sale. He had proper title to all the items. And, uh, so then the government of India was trying to negotiate with the owner who it was public who the owner was, uh, at the auction house. And he said, I'll do, uh, I'll give you the items if you give free healthcare to all the people of India <laughs> and the, the government of India said no so the sale went forward the government of India had a famous uh cricket player representing them on the bidding and then they were going against the CEO and founder of Kingfisher Airlines and Beer mm. uh Kingfisher Ended up beating the government of India, and it was about two point one million dollars total for the lot. Wow! Uh, so pretty remarkable, and just kind of—I've seen this play out many times where governments are interested and in other things in these watches, and uh, it really is such an important and personal item for so many people and in, in countries, entities, companies, etc. So it, it almost, as you say,
0: it takes on a kind of national treasure. <laughs> feel to it it does yeah Yeah. so for example do we you mentioned george washington uh, most famous american probably Mm -hmm. um, having these timepieces being acutely interested in them and getting them and procuring them from the finest watchmakers that probably that he could be in contact with do we have any or do we know of any of washington's timepieces
1: yes there's a few around including one at a museum in new york the place uh that you can learn about all these is an article I wrote on the comprehensive guide to the watches of the presidents, which is on hodinky.com. Uh, so if you look up us presidents and watches, it should be one of the first results on, on Google. Um, but I tried to find every single watch that a president wore starting with Washington, uh, now updated through Biden and what watches they've worn sometimes before they were president, uh, during their presidency, not so much after, uh, Bill Clinton has a ton of watches. So trying to copy, he's probably got over a hundred watches. So we're not trying to do that. Almost all those came into play after his presidency, but, um, yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. So, so let's I,
0: say, let's talk a little bit about presidential time
1: pieces. Yes. Yeah. Um, what are some of the most significant or interesting presidential time pieces? What's interesting with watches is in the past, no one really cared, but over the last kind of 50 years, uh, starting with Gerald Ford, the public took note much more of what they were wearing. So Gerald Ford, when he became president, had a new watch called the Pulsar, which had the time digitally in these red LED numbers. Uh, And the first, it was such an expensive watch. Now it it would only cost, you know, a few dollars to make, but when it first came out, it was about a $2,000 watch. Uh, and I think it was all gold in 1970s dollars. That is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. So he was wearing it, including, uh, I think when during, uh, some ball and some other stuff and, and the media went crazy that he was wearing this expensive watch. So he had to put it aside. Uh, but I think a lot of people saw it and had a negative view of it being so oh, expensive. <laughs> um, It comes into play with world leaders because we sometimes see world leaders around the world wearing multi-million dollar watches, which obviously, if they're a leader of an impoverished country, is not a great look. Um, In the United States, on the kind of opposite trend, Bill Clinton wore a Timex Ironman that cost about $10 back in the early 1990s when he became president and it was... uh, basically not a great look with a tuxedo for instance during <laughs> his presidential balls so the washington post commented on that and said it wasn't a great look when he first became president uh but i think it's part of the theater that you're a person of the people of and course. all right, this sort of stuff right, right. um so it's it's interesting and in, in china mao zedong was having an important le- meeting with some western leaders and he didn't wear a watch then someone else in his circle said, wear this. And it was an Omega Constellation uh, because he said, they're not going to take you seriously if you don't have a watch on. So then he wore that and it was, I guess the meeting went well for him. So it was kind of a sign of good luck. And now all the Chinese leaders wear Omega Constellations. Really? It's my understanding since then. And it's a popular brand in China as a result of that. So in these little things, it's really is wrapped up in politics and history. And it's a lot of fun you've studied these carefully, these presidential watches and
0: timepieces. What's your favorite story that you've come across? Uh,
1: It's hard to pick, you know. Maybe that's an unfair question. No, but I'll say a personal, just funny story. Um, When Christine and I started dating my wife, she was at Mass in Washington, D.C., where we met and lived uh, at that time. And uh, she went to mass and joe biden was there on a particular day and christine knew about the Vulcan cricket which is a, an alarm watch dating back to circa 1947 when it was introduced uh not a, an incredibly expensive watch compared to other things but it's unique because it has this cricket sound and he was basically coming back from uh, communion and his watch went off and sounded like a cricket. And she texted me after and said, I think he has a cricket. And I said, no way. Like I follow this stuff. (laughs) And then I went on to C-SPAN and look at the latest photos of him from the previous week and saw he had a cricket on basically when he gave the, the weekly address, which was on C-SPAN and YouTube. Uh, So then I wrote an article about it for this blog and a couple of people called it the watch spot of the year. It turned out he had received it as a gift when he was in Finland and, uh, from a, a basically an authorized dealer of those watches who had given them to a number of presidents, Reagan, Gorbachev, et cetera, and had this kind of rich history of giving these to different world leaders. Uh, and, uh, it it just was funny. And then Fox news reported about my article and said, I was gushing about the watch and all this yeah. sort of stuff. And You know, you just don't, I mean, it's, this was really like, I was pinching myself when I saw that. It's so funny, but, uh, but there's a treasure hunting element. One of my most read stories ever was about a gentleman who went into a Goodwill store in Arizona and bought a watch for $5 99 cents. And I wrote him on Facebook. He had posted on a group that he just bought it. I said, I think that watch is worth over $20,000. Uh, it was a jaeger LeCoultre Deep Sea Alarm from the late 1950s. And he said, what? And uh, I ended up writing an article about it. It got huge national news. He ended up selling it for $35,000 wow. plus another watch, which he used to buy his fiance a car and pay for their wedding. And it was kind of a life changing uh, thing for him. (laughs) Uh, People were stopping him in the malls and thousands of people went to that Goodwill store to look for watches. And (laughs) it actually caused Goodwill to redo how they sell watches. They now auction them online through their own platform. So I caused a hell change (laughs) because people have found you know, watches worth $20,000 plus for three to five dollars in their kind of grab bag bin of, of watches and jewelry. So uh, it's just funny how these little things, you know, go. It was on Steve Harvey's website and all this crazy stuff. Amazing. That's uh, yeah, funny. <laughs> um,
0: maybe this is an unfair question, but I know our listeners are going to want to hear your answer because you are the world's leading expert, one of them at least.
1: On timepieces, vintage timepieces. What's your favorite? It's very hard to say. You know, you could k- kind of have the rosebud thing and say it's the first. You know, without that Hamilton that my mom gave me after my grandfather passed away, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Um, I am a big fan of vintage Rolex watches, it's uh, the majority of my business. And, um, i just they're very robust durable i can have a 60 plus year old watch uh and still wear it day to day even in the water etc uh you can put new rubber gaskets in and that's not frowned upon by the community or collectors at all uh you're not changing the external appearance of the watch uh so that is Uh, just particularly in a humid environment like Florida, uh, where I'm based like a good, and with three young kids under the age of 10, like a good (laughs) day-to-day thing where I can still enjoy a vintage watch. So Eric
0: Wind has a day-to-day watch. uh,
1: A few different vintage Rolex watches in Uh my collection. Uh Yeah. Yeah. The one I probably wear most is a GMT master, um, which uh, I bought and really liked. And then Christine said, I'd like to give that to you for your birthday. Uh, And, Uh, it's got a red and blue bezel. It's called the Pepsi bezel is the nickname for it. It was developed in association with Pan Am pilots in the mid 1950s. Uh, so they could track 24 hour time when they're flying and track another time zone with the rotating bezel. And, uh, it's just kind of fun. I like having a little bit of color with my vintage watches. Fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) Um, we
0: always like, before we end, we always like on American lives. To ask our guests, we've asked your favorite timepiece mm-hmm. we always like to ask all of our guests and then maybe an unfair question again, but it's fascinating to hear people's response who's your favorite person
1: in American history? is I, it a watchmaker? yeah I mean I would say over um, i it's hard for me to pick just one, but if I'm to pick kind of three um, it would be over kind of the the three centuries of America to this point, uh, not including the 21st century, but George Washington, of course, and seeing Mount Vernon multiple times. It's always very inspiring. Abraham Lincoln is such a fascinating character as well. I'm from Wisconsin. Illinois is close. I grew up just reading every Lincoln book I could, which is, there's just so many tens of thousands, if not more. You can't get through all of them, but Uh, very fascinating individual and then for the 20th century calvin coolidge and uh, i really enjoy reading about him and there are so many tall tales as well if you have the chance i strongly recommend the book with the wit and wisdom of calvin of silent cal yes uh fantastic out of print book only was like one printing but really funny little stories uh and we'll see on the uh, 21st century but uh yeah it's uh it's good
0: Coolidge are profoundly
1: underappreciated yeah, yes person, right? yeah and amity schlase wrote a great book about he sure has yeah, yeah about right. him and i think uh there's more people interested in Coolidge now i think uh which is wonderful than even a couple decades ago what kind of watch did calvin Coolidge wear not you a know? great one <laughs> 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 which fits the personality i would say
0: <laughs> <laughs> probably something very frugal yeah yes yeah exactly <laughs>
1: Oh, that's terrific. My, one of my favorite stories is there was like a book that so many um, people would purchase. It was like a medicinal book or like how to different remedies back at that time in the early 20th century and you'd pay the $10 or whatever it was and you'd have the, the book in your house and so that was their information for, okay, if you have a fever, you should do this or all these different basic things. And his wife purchased it uh, and... Uh, set it on the table because she knew she couldn't h- really hide it from him and she was surprised a few days went by that she, she thought he was going to get very angry and these things were sold by usually traveling salesmen but uh, one day she opened it up and saw uh, on the front leaf basically a note from Calvin and he said I don't see a cure for suckers in here Cal <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty. Good. <laughs> oh, that's it's, terrific! It's great.
0: <laughs> What's next
1: for Wind Vintage? Uh, I think it's amazing. We're already over five years into the business. I couldn't be more, you know, surprised and happy about where we are and the position in the world of watches. I think we we're doing some interesting collaborations with retailers, which is kind of extending our reach. We're making our website into more of a portal. People want to go to every day to see what did we list, what content are we producing, etc. Um, so I think it's just kind of a natural growth of those things, you know. Hopefully, even more people want to continue to flock to the site every day, and hopefully, we continue to get even more watches on the website and uh, more cool content that people want to read.
0: Yeah, uh, fascinating. Let me recommend it to our listeners. It's gonna. It's a terrific website. If you're interested in timepieces, if you're interested in American history and these great stories, check it out. Thank Eric you so win. much. Thank you so much Thank for you, joining Jess. us on Thank American you. Lives. Thank you. American Lives is a production of the Ashbrook Center. Ashbrook strengthens constitutional self-government by educating our fellow Americans, students, teachers, and citizens in our country's history and founding principles and the habits of reflection and choice necessary to perpetuate our republic. If you want to learn more or get involved in this vital work, visit our website, ashbrook.org. And if you enjoyed this episode of American Lives, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also, please consider subscribing to The American Idea, the Ashbrook Center's podcast on the documents, debates, people, and events that have defined and continue to define our country.